1: Well, hello everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Godpod. And um, uh, it's great to be here. While well, we're still doing this by Zoom, we're still doing it at a distance, and uh, I am still in my study in Twickenham. And um, uh, it's great to have Jane on the call as well. So, Jane, um, I presume you're in Cambridge as usual.
0: Still in, still in my study in Cambridge. Yes.
1: Wonderful. So, Jane Williams is with us today, and we have a guest, which is a real delight um, to have with us, the Reverend Dr. Sharon Prentice. Yeah. Hello, Sharon. Hi, Hi. where are you today?
2: So I'm in Birmingham, um, just outside Birmingham in a place called Hopwood, which is just outside, um, about five miles outside Birmingham.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really good. You, you could join us. And um, Sharon is, a, is an old friend. She was uh, on the staff of St. Melitis for a while and um, has now gone on to, uh, to, to, to bigger and greater things in, in, um, since then. And um, she has actually uh, got a wonderful job title. I'm going to try and get it right as I go through this. So she is an intercultural mission enabler and Dean of Black and Minority Ethnic Affairs in Diocese of Birmingham. And uh, she's soon to take up uh, an honorary post as Canon Theologian of Lichfield Cathedral. Is that right, Sharon? That's right, yes.
2: Um, hopefully from November onwards.
1: That's fantastic. Now, it's really, really good to, um, for you to join us uh, today, and just to reflect on some of the things that um, we 've all been thinking about and sort of pondering in the last um, last few months and, and I guess the, the theme of today 's uh, godpod really is the, um, the questions that many people have been asking in our in our culture uh, here in Britain but across the world, of course, since the death of George Floyd uh, back in May, um, which has kind of raised the issue of race and inclusion and racism within our 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 culture and our church and within our own hearts um in a way that um uh, is, is is kind of new in a way you know we've sort of visited these things before but it feels a little bit new this time and um uh, Sharon I'd love to get your your sort of thoughts on that does it feel new this time round? because for you as you've dealt with these issues for many many years you've experienced them does it feel new this time what's different about this than than other times when we've had stories of police, police brutality of discrimination against black and minority ethnic people um, how does it feel sort of personally if you like for you over the last few weeks and months
2: mm-hmm. i think it's been an incredibly interesting time in that you know as we go through this pandemic and being in this whole experience of being locked down and then confronted by the awful killing of George Floyd on the television screens and realising that we live in a broken world where a lot of these issues are still very relevant to a significant number of people. But even before that, I think for me, it was seeing the parade of black and brown faces who were being disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and we started to see that as the the numbers of those who had lost their lives tragically to this disease um, started to appear on the television and and that impacted me hugely because you kind of think, no, that's not real, That's that's not really happening, maybe it's just a coincidence. But then as the weeks went on, you started to realise that not only were you seeing this on the news, but I was hearing stories. My mother rang me up in tears. She was distraught. And a friend of hers, her daughter, had passed at a very young age. She was only 43. And and she had succumbed to COVID-19. And um, my mum was hearing more and more people. And I started to realise that this was... This was not just a coincidence that something significant was happening.
1: Yeah there was a real crossover in that realisation wasn't there that, mm. that when the George Floyd story came out there was that as you say that connection between that and what we were also hearing about the disproportionate impact of the pandemic upon, upon black and and, um, and particularly Asian people in in the nation as well and so mm. um, yeah and, and it's I think my observation is it's it's impacted a lot of white people in particular way and that it's made a lot of white people, you know, myself included, suddenly aware of our own whiteness in a way that we maybe haven't been before. Um, That actually, because it's very easy in this culture sometimes to think, well, white is just normal. Um, But actually it's not necessarily normal. Um, In fact, you know, one of the phrases we've been using increasingly is global majority people. Uh, that actually white people are in the global minority mm-hmm. and recognizing whiteness as a thing that you suddenly become aware of and that actually whiteness brings you all kinds of privileges uh, that is that it's, it's harder to get if you, if you if you're not white um so it's, it's a lot of soul searching amongst white people too uh and uh, i don't do your reflections on um, whether that's something that you've experienced jane what your sort of thoughts have been over these past few weeks and months as well
0: i think um, it'd be really interesting to hear, Sharon, what people have asked of you because i've just felt this this um, great um, need to to understand more of what it 's like to experience just day to day to day to day racism mm-hmm. um, which is which just seems to be completely um, part of of everyday life for mm-hmm. um black friends and 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 colleagues mm-hmm. um, and uh and it but also it feels quite unfair to keep asking you to tell me about it Because mm. obviously for you that you know all of this um uh, and have but lived it, it and uh, and and the fact that i haven't known it or at least only known it superficially is my fault isn't it so you in, in a way why do you, what what are people asking of you sharon and is it fair how does it feel to, to be asked constantly to explain because of these, this collision of, of George Floyd and the COVID thing? So it's top of a lot of people's minds at the moment. What does it feel like to be asked to facilitate us thinking about this as a society?
2: Well, I think there's something about a normal reaction. People are astounded. The majority of people are really kind of shocked at the prevalence of racism in our society. And when I say the majority, the majority of white people are shocked at the prevalence that people of color, the global majority experience on a a daily basis. Um, And because the sort of circumstances around George Floyd highlighted the very real fear that particularly black men have in regards to the police, Um, You know, people were astounded that that is a, a fact and that men, particularly who are pulled over by the police or stopped by the police, have a real fear of losing their lives. That, you know, that's outside of the realms of most people's experiences. And then suddenly talking about whiteness and white privilege and white entitlement. Made people realise that the normative values that govern all our social interactions are white, Mm. and so the othering that occurs is often posited on an experience, a different difference, a lifestyle, a culture, a race, even you know that doesn't subscribe to these normative values, and so people were starting to hear on a larger scale lots of experiences that their friends were having and so out of that was born this curiosity tell me about your experience of this genuine desire to know but of course when you are continually retelling (coughs) excuse me and revisiting those experiences some of which aren't pleasant that's traumatic yeah Um, and so there is the time when you say and i've been inundated Uh, I say, there is this book list, there are these videos, Mm -hmm. you know, please do, you know, it's a general desire to want to know what to do in the situation. And so um, part of my role has been giving out these book lists and videos and things and saying, okay, once you've done that work, which is the emotional work about your shock, about the immediacy of all this, let's come back to work on constructive action what does racial reconciliation mean? And how do we transform, not just change, transform structures? Um, and I think that realisation is coming to the fore now because I've seen a lot of people saying, no, we're not going to, we are not going to ask you about that. We're not expecting you in a sort of um, a kind of perverse way to tell us about your pain but we want to be part of the solution we want to be part of the transforming the transformation of our structures um and so i think we've moved through that and we're moving through it still and people in, uh, of color the global majority are much able more able to say we're not going to do that work anymore i
0: think that's one. really helpful it is really helpful to be told to, to go away and do some work mm-hmm. And then come back and join in the conversation, that
1: seems. Yeah, it was a message that came through. I mean, I, I spoke to a number of um, Black and Asian friends around the time of George Floyd. And that was exactly the same message I was picking up. Like, you know, we've been dealing with these issues for years. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that just now when you, you've just woken up to them, why do you snap your fingers and expect us to sort of tell our stories and bear our pain? And quite, absolutely, quite rightly. And their message to me was, well, go away and do your homework. Yeah. um books which i've been trying to do over the last few few, um, few weeks reading um you know some really good um books with ben Lindsay's, you know we need to talk about race uh before i hear she's um british british uh, really good books just helped help you and that's the kind of work i think that we white people have to do that background work and then have yeah. the conversation on the back of that i um, mean i guess my, my question i'd love to kind of explore a little bit um, god is a a theological podcast, and um, I suppose it's how we approach these as Christians, this this issue as Christians, and how that how that m- is different in, in any way from uh, the wider society that we're part of. Is there a difference that we bring to this as Christians? Are there is there a Christian language that we can uh, make sense of these issues of race and inclusion and difference and diversity? And uh, what's the distinctive Christian uh, take on this? What's at stake for our Christian faith in yeah. the sin of racism?
2: Yeah, I think understanding that race is a social construct, you know, Bible doesn't mention race, it mentions race in a very particular way about us being part of one race, the, you know, the sort of being the people of God in that respect in Corinthians and um, having an appreciation that the social construct of race was designed around superiority and inferiority. And and the Bible doesn't do that. So when you start to look at the early church, the the church in Antioch, in Acts, and was drawn from all these different people, you know, there was this diversity in empire, the Roman Empire, um, and that they became a community um, in Christ. Um, and so we use the term intercultural on purpose and although that's not necessarily in the bible but we talk about a multi-ethnic church which is fine and we talk about multicultural in society but what that really means is that we exist in our various cultural groups in silos alongside each other whereas we know that one of the things about early church in Acts 2 was they had all things in common and it's like what does that mean Mm. so that talks about an interdependence a reliance on one another Mm. Um, and often that's quoted is that wonderful vision of the church in Revelations about you know every tribe and tongue praising God so we have right from early inception of the church this model of people coming together of having things in common of having a faith in common but being very different Um, and i think it it's it's about understanding that's that's our roots that's where we come from and therefore when we look around when we don't see that in our in our you know fellowships then we have to ask the question who's missing yeah. And what is God saying to us?
1: Yeah, thank you. And I, I've also been pondering the Book of Acts because I mean, there's a lot in there about this, these very themes. I, I was going to, to Acts chapter nine. There's a little passing passage there that talks about how um, you know the the church in in Judea, in Galilee, and Samaria yeah. um, was built up in faith and the power of the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. And right in the middle of it, I noticed there was a little word. There's a, the word when it says that the, the church throughout these places it's the word catholis um catholic it's the only the only place in the new testament where that word catholic is actually used in other words it's it's, it's talking about the catholicity of, of the church and the, the catholicity of the church is expressed in these three very different cultures you know it's there in um it's there in um you know in in judea jewish place Um, Galilee which was a kind of Galilee of the Gentiles a very sort of mixed environment Samaria which is the home of the Samaritans Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church expressed in these different different cultures and that's what Catholicity is it's about universality and it's that that's a kind of you know, uh, uh, you know words of diversity and inclusion uh, they're good words but actually Catholicity is a really strong Christian word that the Catholic Church is the universal church the church expressed in all the different cultures of the world and then when you ask what is the center of, Christi- of, of, of Catholicity Well, the trouble is, we 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 often think the center of Catholicity is well, us. It's you know, it's it's our way of doing things. You know, some you know, the center of church, our normative culture is white culture. But actually, the center of Catholicity is actually nothing other than Christ Himself. You know, and anything that replaces Christ as the center of the Catholic faith is actually an idol. And that's that's what's at stake in 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 racism it's actually the very catholicity of the church the universality of it the sort of centrality of christ at the center which is which replaces any particular culture because that's what's distinct about the church it doesn't have any particular culture that's central or normative the only thing that's normative is christ and his his way and the 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 inclusion into which we're invited by the holy spirit so um so and it tallies in with you know your your vision there I think of you know interdependence from, and reliance upon one another in the church too. It's oh.
0: interesting that um, that Matthew and Luke who who have who tell us about the birth of Jesus, their genealogies go back um, mm. in one case back to um, Adam, and in the other case back to Abraham. Mm. Um, both of them in you know, taking us back to God's initial claim on humanity, God's initial creative act of creating the one humanity that is to find itself in Jesus Christ. It's just extraordinary how um and in the early church, um, Christians were often talked of as a as a third race, neither Jew nor Gentile, people who didn't know proper boundaries (laughs) in the ancient world. But it's extraordinary how quickly we lost that sense,
2: um,
0: and how how easy it is to get drawn back into um, cultural separatism.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think
2: well, one of the things we fail to uh, acknowledge that racism is a sin of the hearts. We think you know about it intellectually and cognitively, but actually, it's 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 the othering and this whole thing about well, what does fellowship look like? You know, this idea of participation in and participation with others, and this idea of servanthood and, and laying down our notions of power and superiority to serve others in a way that is selfless, that gives life and is loving. Yep. Um, those those things we wrestle with because we, you know, we deal with the church. That's institutional on the one hand, but he's made up of disciples um, and followers of Christ. Um, and, and that calls us to be different, to embrace a different way of being with others, which is about giving up our
0: power. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. And it is,
0: I think, really important and helpful to, to name racism as a sin and and um and to take it that seriously not to think it's oh it's it's just a you know a fact of of our culture or whatever but actually to name it as a sin of the heart mm-hmm. it's a hugely yeah. significant theological thing to do i think
1: and and me, sin is always something that that diminishes you it, 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 it takes sucks the life out of things and people and um i've been reflecting out how, how racism in the church as he diminishes the church, because what it does is it it refuses to receive the gifts that that the whole church that God is giving the whole church through the different cultures of the world. You know, the Catholic Church is embedded in all these different cultures around the world. And when when I res- refuse to receive the gift that someone else is bringing uh, to that church, then I'm impoverished. The church is impoverished, mm-hmm. um and so on. I, I was reflecting on it the, the other day. I was listening into one of our one of our churches online services on a Sunday and. The um, sermon was being given by a, uh, an Asian um, layperson. It was a brilliant sermon, really, really insightful, thoughtful, um, articulate, you know, and very much, you know, had the flavour of his own culture coming coming to it. It just struck me how how impoverished we would be if we actually would say, no, no, we're not going to listen to that because of the colour of his skin. You know, we were enriched as a church uh, by the gift that he was able to bring. And seems to me racism impoverishes the church and diminishes the church by that refusal to receive the gift that God is bringing. And there's that experience, isn't it? You know, when you when you see Jesus through someone else's eyes that aren't your own, suddenly you see things about Jesus you've never seen before. I didn't never realise that about Jesus. And there's something about you know when you when we receive the gifts, the insights that other cultures have to bring into the heart of our faith, which is Christ then our vision of christ is enriched and without that we can't see the fullness and glory of christ we only see my little bit of him Um, Mm -hmm. and we all need each other for the different cultures of the world cultures into which the church has been has been placed in this universal catholic church to be able to see christ fully
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely i i you know we talk about mission and how important that is and you know to go out into the whole world Mm -hmm. um but if we don't recognize Christ in, in the breadth and diversity of the world, if we don't, if we're not able to listen and discern yeah. Christ working, then we are impoverished by it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, one of the things that really struck me was listening to a young lady who walked into a church and um, she said, I don't see myself there. You know, the people are, are very nice. But I'm not sure that I'm really welcomed. And, and when I kind of asked her to explain a bit more and she said, <clears throat> because if, if you're about love, if this is all about love, then it's obvious that some people are loved more than others. Mm. And that really struck me because what is the visible testimony we're giving mm. when people don't see themselves in every area of the church whether it's leadership or, or or leading the worship or part of the congregation now i know that you know one of the things that people say is that we don't live in a diverse multicultural multi-ethnic area but it says so much more about other things as well you know so when we talk about an intercultural church we talk about a church that's inclusive and intergenerational that really f- reflects the whole people of god um because god you know in christ came to all people um and so it's, it's trying to say so what are we articulating about love and welcoming others
1: yeah that's very helpful i'd love to know a little bit more Sharon, about your your work as an intercultural mission enabler it's a really interesting title and and how you see that and and what you understand by intercultural mission and how you go about doing that enabling that kind of mission
2: Mm. so first of all I think it's about intention it's about this realization that actually who we are and what is our witness and our worship Um, And what is God calling us to be at this time in a fragmented world where people are very um, individualistic orientated? So God is calling us to be the people that bless others, that love others. So once a church, uh, a group of people have that realization, it's about the praxis. So what do we need to do? You know and i think it's having that awareness and that intention first of all but actually saying so who are we encouraging um to be amongst our leaders how are we discerning leaderships and gifts how we're we being stewards of the gifts within our you know gathering our congregation our community how are we blessing and allowing people to flourish as they are not who we think they should be <laughs> not according to a normative white culture. Um, So for instance, um, there are a couple of churches I work with, and it's about encouraging young people, diverse young people, to uh, offer their gifts, um, you know, how they've been shaped culturally, uh, as well as socially. It's about saying, okay, then we need to maybe think about how we do services differently. We maybe need to think about how we discern differently. um, how do we How do we affirm what 's going on and um, which may be very different to what we 're used to so it 's looking at our language our liturgy we we talk about language liturgy, and um i 've forgotten the other album now it 's com- yeah. leadership leadership yeah. Yeah. so we use acronyms like that and we also look at things like you know intercultural intergenerational inclusive in Christ yeah. so we say that just as a way of a means of reminding ourselves that we need to work to enable all those things to happen
0: and the book that you've um uh, that that you drew together sharon that um encourages us to see uh, some of the, the great saints who've actually built the church um is that a book that um, i mean tell us a little bit about the book and how we might use that in in worship Ooh. Well it kind of
2: came about
0: through unusual
2: circumstances in that um, I have a friend who's got a young granddaughter who was who went into church and looked around and said oh fantastic but I don't see anybody that looks like me Um, and that got um, we had this discussion and that got us thinking about so where are the saints of colour where are the saints from around the world that kind of feed into our sense of a collective you know those are the people that have gone on before that are witnessing through history Um, and I'd come across people like Hadrian of Canterbury who shock horror turned down the opportunity of being um, Archbishop of Canterbury in the sixth century because he was called to be a teacher but what I didn't realize was that he came from North Africa he was a Berber and that blew me away because that said something that talked into my identity. It talked a lot to me. And so discussing this with friends, they were able to pull on um, various examples of folks. You know, St. George, for example. Um, we've got um, a, a, a person, yes. sorry, um, sorry.
1: St. So George was a Palestinian Christian, wasn't he?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And lots of people don't realise that, you know, um, coming from a sort of Turkish background as well. Mm. And so we talked about St. George. We talked about a a particular saint who was from a Gypsy Roma traveller background, Mm. who's venerated in the Catholic Church. Uh, And there were Pauli Murray, who is um, commemorated in the sort of um, Episcopal church in America as well, who was a civil rights lawyer and priest. Um, And so there were all these stories. And we decided, okay, we'll write a sort of pen portrait about them, but also talk about their impact as witnesses. So we use that wonderful um, sort of verse from Hebrews around a great cloud of witnesses. Um, how they witness to us as people of colour as well it's is it called
0: every tribe if i remembered that right? That's yeah. right it's called every tribe every
1: tribe Stories right. of diverse saints serving in a diverse world That's That's right. good so if you want to get hold of it if you're listening to this god and you want to get hold of a really good book that will uh, give you insights into the the gifts that are brought to the church by all kinds of different cultures it's a great book to get hold of every tribe um and, and uh, a
0: really useful worship resource, again, if you're, if you're wanting to craft a service that helps open up a sense of, of how big the church is, actually to use some of these saints um, uh, for illustration to, to commemorate is, is just a really helpful thing to do. So I remember talking to you about this book some years ago, Sharon,
1: so I'm so yes. glad it actually came to pass. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a labour of
2: love that took a yeah. long time, but it yeah. did come to fruition.
1: I'd love to ask you this question. Do you you think every church should be an intercultural church?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that we've learned in Birmingham is that it's very easy. It's a human proclivity to put people in boxes, isn't it? because it's neat and it's easy for us to to be able to relate to one another. But then we started to say, actually, what intercultural is and my background is sociology. And so the whole thing about culture is, you know, it's a contested term. It can mean so many things. Um, And so we started to say so, you know, we are as Christians, we belong to a culture, but we believe that Christ is over all culture. So what does that mean about us celebrating Christ in culture, through cultures? Um, so we looked at cultures as, as, you know, the things that we have been socialised in, but we also looked at subcultures as well. You know, young people have various subcultures and older people are subcultures. So how, do, how is that? How does our faith, our worship, our ways of being, how's that reflected in who we are as the called people of God and how does that go out to bless other people so we've um, had a much more expanded view of culture but also keeping in mind those things such as social justice and racial reconciliation and intergenerational work so you know it's emergent but it's been a wonderful experience and we're still learning. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's
0: just really easy for people um, not to notice that um, wherever you live there are actually there is actually more than one culture going on um, you can get into your own little group and think well this is this, this, this is the culture of the area that we're in um, but actually if you if you do the, the work and explore as you say there's always there are always other cultures going on
1: that's a really helpful idea that you know the, It's not that there are kind of multicultural churches and monocultural churches. There aren't any monocultural churches. And actually, monocultural church is not really the church in all its fullness. No. Because the Catholic church is the universal church. It has to kind of represent all cultures. And and the more it embraces that, the, the richer its vision of Jesus Christ is. And which is which is um, again, which is why racism is such a diminishing scene and, and and why this is one of maybe one of the primary areas of witness for the church today yes. in a very fragmented culture
2: yeah, I think it was it was it Pliny, the early church that said you know wrote about the, the, the those first Christians, um look how they love one another. And that's how we should be. So there's something about accepting, loving one another and worshipping together to the glory of God. That is really attractive to people, that people that is kind of attractional, that people say, well, I can be myself and learn to grow Mm. and to find my purpose and my call within this context. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what we can offer.
1: And that, that vision also holds out something that reflects something of that, that kind of eschatological vision of the, every tribe and every nation. But at the same time, in the present, I'm mean, going go back to my Acts 9 verse in it, mm. where it talks about the church throughout these different cultures grew in numbers. Yeah. And maybe the reason it grew in numbers is because people could see themselves in that church. Absolutely. The stories you've been telling today, Sharon. If someone's able to go into a church, say, "Yeah, I recognise someone who looks like me there," they're more likely to become part of that church than if they go in and say, "No, they all look a bit different. They all look different from me. I can't really see myself in that place." So actually, this is actually key—not just to justice, not just to kind of um, ecclesiology. It's it's true for evangelism and the, the growth mm-hmm. of the church as well. It's a cru- it's a crucial aspect of what we're about.
2: Yeah, I think you know it was it Acts thirteen that gives the list of the leaders in the church. And um, and that's something that really struck me. There's Manny and, and Simeon. I think Simon Niger. Yeah. And you know he was black. He had, had to be. That's what it means. There's a whole list of these leaders from all over the place, and you kind of think, well, wow. Yeah. That's there for a reason. Yeah.
1: And then when you think of Augustine and Cyprian and Tertullian and all these other African Christians in the early years who have shaped our thinking. So much more than we ever realize. You begin to realize what a, you know that, that this church is a much bigger thing, as Jane was saying, than we've ever realized it was.
0: Mm. And if it isn't, then it, as you said, Graham, it's not actually the church. It's a club, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If if it's a, a group of like-minded people who would get together anyway, whether Jesus was at the heart of it or not,
1: mm-hmm. it's not the church, is it? and If they're bound together by by their own culture. Yeah. And if I get together with people because they're like me they're the same colour as me, they talk the same way as me, then it is a, it, it's a kind of cultural club. Mm-hmm. And that's not the church. The mm-hmm. church is held together by the Spirit and yes. by faith in Christ uh, that, that transcends cultures in that way.
2: Yeah, I really do believe that God is calling us out of our personal communal comfort zones because that's what being sent out is all about. Yep. You know, going from the places that are familiar to places that aren't familiar, mm-hmm. and, and forming relationships. This is essentially relational. Mm-hmm. It's about saying that actually God's view of of who we are, of creation, actually mm-hmm. encompasses so much more, yeah. um, and spurring us on to try and engage with that. Yeah. And that's
1: and
0: although that can, cool. sorry Graham, although that can sound quite scary actually again our theology is that we are brothers and sisters we are family because we have the one father and uh, we are siblings of the one son through the power of the spirit so so what sounds like a scary journey is actually rediscovering our 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 reality our heritage our family Mm
2: -hmm. Um, yeah you know this idea of one new humanity i think you know that we are all part of
1: that same family. Yeah. Sharon, thank you so much for um, joining us on this GodPod. It's been a really interesting discussion, ranging over a lot of different things. It's really important that we could go on talking about this for quite a long time. And um, we're really grateful to your contribution. Just a reminder for those of you listening, uh, Sharon's book, uh, Every Tribe, Stories of Diverse Saints Serving a Diverse World. Um, are the publishers of that one, Sharon? I think it's SPCK, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to get hold of that, get on to... I don't know whether you can visit your local bookstore anymore or whether you have to go online and then go to Amazon or something and get it in, in, other, in any other way. But um, anyway, um, it's uh, great to be part of this discussion. Thank you again, Sharon, and um, all the best for all your work uh, in Birmingham and Litchfield. So thank you so much for coming on today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Jane. And uh, for all you regular GodPod listeners, we'll be back again with another GodPod before too long. Uh, until then, goodbye.
0: was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.